Amen. If you have your Bible, we can go and turn to our scripture, Isaiah 7. Isaiah 7. And I uh, wanted, as I've talked the last couple of weeks about, about God with us. Everybody say, God with us. Are you thankful this morning that he's with you? That's a promise of Christmas that I talked uh, three weeks ago about God is with us in the valley. Those times where we were walking through the valley of the shadow of death. We're walking through difficulty. We're walking through uh, turmoil. That There in the middle of that, we can lift our voice to God. We can make it a place of worship to God. Because God always has another mountaintop for us to climb and to experience him with. Then last week, of course, we talked about God is with us in the boat. When the storm comes, when, the, when it seems like everything's raging out of control, God is with you in the boat. This morning, I want to talk about this. God is with us always. Everybody say always. Better yet, God is with us forever. Amen. Scripture tells us very clearly that, lo, I am behold, behold, I am with you until the very end of the, the, the age. Amen. Are you glad God's with you this morning as we celebrate that? And if you look at Isaiah 15, this prophecy right here was given in the time of King Ahaz. And what it was was a very unsettled time for the Jewish people. And God issued this prophecy through the prophet Isaiah. And it was meant to do this. It was meant to bring comfort and it was meant to bring a level of of peace to the people who would have heard this prophecy. If you're in Isaiah 7, say amen. We're going to start in verse 14. Think about this. This was written about roughly 748 years ago. I'm not sure whose phone keeps going off, but is that yours, brother? Oh, gotcha, brother. Gotcha. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and we will call him what? What will we call him? Call him Emmanuel. What does that mean? God is with us. So Now, Think about how big of a concept this would have been to the people hearing this through the prophet for the first time. Because 2,748 years ago, after the birth of Jesus was first prophesied, here's the thing. People are still fighting over his name and over his truth. Amen? Whenever God became one of us through the virgin birth through Jesus, there has been tension then And there is still tension today over who Jesus is, what he came to do, and all the things that were prophesied about him. Why did God need have a desire to be with us? For one very simple and very profound reason. Here it is. We didn't understand who he was. We didn't understand who God was. I shared a story uh, three weeks ago about going to the orphanage there in Ecuador. Leah and I ran an orphanage for a couple months uh, uh, helping some missionaries out that were going back to Canada on furlough. So the Lord very distinctly laid it on our hearts to go and take this position for a period of time so that the family that had been living there for a number of years could go back home and visit family and visit churches and do the things they needed to do. And I shared how difficult that was, especially for the first few weeks, because we're doing like mounds of laundry. You know, there's 32 kids And all we had were washing machines. One thing I forgot to mention was that not only did we have 32 kids, but we had uh, three parrots, two boxers, um, two goats, a donkey, and a monkey. And I had to bathe this monkey every, like, week. And he was mean. He would bite at you. 
and he would bare his teeth when I put him in the water. I don't think he liked baths, right? And so it was a difficult time, and it was a hard time. But what they told us before they left and left us in charge, they said, uh, Jason, Leah, whenever the police come or the social workers come, while we're away, we don't want you to take in any new kids. We don't want you to, you know, we don't want to put that stress on you. You know, we don't know the kids. What would happen previously if the cops found uh, young people who had been living on the streets for a period of time, they would collect them up, and they, this was one of the houses that they would drop them off at the gate. Well, we were probably three, four, or five weeks into our time there, and things were going pretty smooth. And uh, one day we heard a, a very loud knock at the gate. It was in the afternoon. And when I opened, the, it was a large gate that you could pull vehicles through, but they had a smaller door cut into it that you could open. I opened the smaller door, and there was two police officers. And there were two, I, I want to say they were probably 11, 12, or 13-year-old two boys. And they were very bedraggled. They were, had, hair was very long. They were very disheveled. They were very dirty. And the police officers looked at us like, hey, you're going to take them. And I started to say no. But as I looked at these kids, I felt in my heart, I said, I can't turn these two young people away. Can't do it. So we brought them in. We got them all cleaned up. But here's my point. Leah and I could have stayed in Louisiana and shouted our love for the people of Ecuador and at this orphanage that God had laid on our heart to go and run for that period of time. But how many understand that I could shout it from Louisiana and they're not going to hear it in Ecuador? It was being at the door and receiving these kids in and showing them who we were by virtue of reaching out and doing something for them. God, Emmanuel, is with us, and God is with you in the good times. God is with you in the low times. God is with you in the in-between times. God is with us, and God couldn't shout his love from heaven, so he came in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, and said, I will be with you. And that is a wonderful story that we celebrate this time of year. He didn't say, I'm going to stay at a far-off distance. And, and, and think about this. When Jesus comes on the scene in the story that we read in Luke, there was 400 years of complete silence. As a matter of fact, the last word in Malachi isn't a very good word. The last word before God goes silent is curse, right? You have 400 years of silence. You have 400 years of difficulty. You have 400 years of darkness where God is not speaking through a prophet that he would have raised up in all the hundreds of years before. And what happens when God goes silent? In my opinion, God, people begin to make up their own rules. So over that period of 400 years, you've had laws that God had given to the people, and the people of the day, the Pharisees and the different scribes and scholars and religious leaders at the time, had begun to put a lot of rules and religion and things that they said God didn't like or was for or against. This is a very dark time in the history of God's people. And when we pick up in Luke, we understand that when the announcement was made by the angels that we've been singing about this morning, that goodwill and peace towards men, it was revolutionary to think God would step down from heaven in a place like Bethlehem. At this time, it is called the house of bread. In the Old Testament, when it was prophesied that there would be a ruler come out of Bethlehem, it had a different name, and it was called the place of an ash heap. 
So at the intersection of a place of an ash heap and the house of bread, God came because even though sometimes, church, we are sitting in what we think is, is something that cannot be uh, resurrected, cannot be made whole again, cannot be made right again, God comes right in the midst of that in the most unexpected ways. 400 years of silence, 400 years of difficulty, 400 years of darkness. And if you guys will allow me with your sanctified imagination, I want to say, so I don't get any emails of, of, Pastor, you're a heretic, and this didn't really happen, I want to say very clearly that what I'm about to do is something that did not happen, but I imagine it in my mind as I read this story. And let me fill in a few blanks, because we understand that God is with us and he came to show us who he was because you can't shout love from a distance. You have to be what? Near to somebody to show them who you are. And in heaven, I can imagine maybe the conversation going something like this of Jesus getting ready to come and be born. And it's something called what is called the incarnation. Everybody say incarnation. That is a very fancy word for God in the flesh. It's a very fancy word for the fact that God came to be with us. He's with you in the valley. He is certainly with you in the boat when the storm is raging. And this morning, I want you to catch and I want you to understand as we head into Christmas week, we celebrate family coming together. We celebrate presents. We celebrate all the good things of Christmas. But can I tell you this week, as you dwell on what Jesus really did as he was born a baby in a manger, it is the incarnation. It is the fact that God said, I don't want to be distant from my people, but I want to be near them and I want to be with them. Focus on that this week, that God is with us. Can I give you the really long theological definition of incarnation? Can I give you that to you this morning? In Christian theology, the doctrine of the incarnation holds that Jesus, the preexistent divine logos, and the second hypostasis of the Trinity, God the Son and Son of the Father, taking on human body and human nature, was made flesh, conceived in the womb of Mary, the Thetakos, God-bearer. The doctrine of the incarnation then entails that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human. These two natures joined in hypostatic union. How many understood a third of that? I graduated Bible school. Many of you in here did too. Can I tell you what that really means in a very real-world way? God with flesh on. God coming in the flesh. And you can begin, again, I want to reiterate that this was a conversation that's not recorded in Scripture, but you know there had to be a conversation before Jesus actually came in the flesh because it says this in John 1, 1 and 14, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So this conversation between the Father and the Son maybe went something like this. Son, I have selected a woman for you. Her name is Mary, and she is completely sold out and pure to our will. And I imagine Jesus may be answering back and saying, well, there are probably a nice older couple that you're going to send me to be my parents. No, it's two teenagers. (laughs) Can you imagine? He's like, whoa. Couldn't we found somebody a little more mature or something like that? But he selected this woman, and he says she's not like other girls. She's pure. 
in every way. She's a virgin. She, she saved herself. Now, Joseph will be your stepfather, and he will be an earthly dad. And we know that Joseph doesn't get as nearly as much airtime as what Mary does unless it's a manger scene. Amen? Right? I mean, Mary has statues. Joseph gets, you know, 10 seconds during the end of a manger scene. But he said, I, I imagine the father just saying, just so we're clear, just so we're clear, you're going to leave. Everybody follow me for just a minute. You're going to leave the glory of heaven. And you're going to spend nine months in the womb of Mary. And Jesus, most people expect you and think that you're going to be born in a palace. You're going to be born in a, in a beautiful castle. But Jesus, I'm sending you to a very common place. You're going to be born in a cave with farm animals. And Jesus looks back at the Father and says, hey, I'm liking it already, right? (laughs) Because Jesus realizes and understands people are going to realize from the Christmas story that I did not come to the rich and to the powerful. I did not come to those who have it all together. I did not come to heal those who don't need a physician, but I came to the sick. I came to the lost. I came to the broken. I came to those who were living under bondage of 400 years of rules that the religious people had put on them. And he says, everyone will know that I came for them, not just the rich and the powerful. Now the father looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, I want, to under- I want you to understand, not only will you be born in this cave, but as soon as you're born, all the devil and his demons are going to be highly upset because they're going to begin and set a plan to consistently and always try to kill you. We see that in the story, right? Herod gets upset. When the wise men come, he says, every, babe, every boy two years and under in Bethlehem, I want you to go destroy. But he is letting him know simply this, and this is what I want you to catch this morning. He's letting him know, Jesus, this is going to be a very difficult task. Amen? You're going to be born of a virgin. You're going to be born in a cave. You're not going to be born in the palace. You're going to grow, as the Bible says, he grew in stature with wisdom, in favor with God, and he grew strong in the Lord. It says that many times in Luke that he began to grow. He's telling Jesus, yes, you will go on and you'll work with wood. And even the people in your hometown may not respect you. Maybe the people in your hometown may not believe Mary's story. The rumors would have been flying even as Jesus grew older and hear the whispers in the distance. And Jesus is working with his hands. He's a carpenter. He's putting things together. The same wood that he's building a table with, he knows is the same wood because the Father let him know, Jesus, you're not just coming to be born. You're, the, the, the incarnation is the entry point into God's purpose and plan from the very beginning that the cross was the end place of what Jesus had, what God had in mind. And I love this. Let's think about it. The Son willingly came into the earth. As Jesus grew and he began his ministry, people still hated him, right? People still, he, he healed blinded eyes. He raised the dead. He turned water into wine, all the miracles that he did. And people are still debating whether it was non-alcoholic wine. Come on. And the more he loved people, the more he willingly pursued people that others said aren't pursuable, the more people hated him. 
And I believe the pep talk from the Father before he ever entered into our world was just keep loving them. Just keep pursuing them. People will continue to hate you. The devil, we know the devil tried to destroy him from the very beginning and all the way through his life and ministry. And can I encourage you of something this morning? That the Father, I'm sure, put it in Jesus' heart before he ever came to say this. When the devil comes against you, you have a weapon. It's called the Word of God. And when the devil came to tempt, he used the word against him because the father was just saying, look, Jesus, love is who we are. Love is what we do. And then I'm sure, again, this is, this is a conversation that we can imagine in heaven. It's not recorded in scripture, so it's not scripture. It's not. But he had to know. We know that Jesus knew he was born as the perfect lamb of God for one important reason, he was going to go to the cross. And the Father had to, Jesus, you understand this is going to be tough. You understand this is going to be difficult. You understand they're going to beat you to a bloody pulp. You understand that they're going to hang you upon a cross. And and understand something, son, I will be with you. Uh, This makes me tear up when I think about it. I will be with, do you understand when I say that God is with you always and he came in the form of a little tiny helpless baby in a cave born to the Virgin Mary and we understand the theology of this simply this is that he couldn't have been born through man because sin would have been passed down, right? He was born of the seed of the woman and he was born of the Holy Spirit of God because he was 100% God and he was 100% man. And he walked in such close communion with the Father all through his life up until one point when we understand theologically that he could not look upon sin and had to turn his face away from his son. What a God. Do you understand that when we say God, Emmanuel, God is with us this morning, and I'm, I'm hoping you carry this thought into the rest of your week as you head towards Christmas, he was forsaken by the Father so you could be adopted by the Father. He had to turn his... Can I tell you something? When, when you belong to God, God is with you forever. He will never leave you and he will never forsake you because Jesus Christ upon the cross that he headed to was, was put upon there. Why for you? Can you imagine a better gift? Can you imagine what he came to do for us? I want to say this this morning. So many of you that are hurting during this season, God is Emmanuel. God is not some faraway, distant, uninvolved God. But God is with you at this very moment. He wants to comfort you. He wants to hold you close. But remember, there is tension when we talk about him. God is with us, not against us not apart from us, not God apathetic towards us, God with us. And here's what he came to give you. Here's what he came to give you this morning. He came to give you peace. Everybody say peace. Peace. All throughout the Bible in the Old Testament, God had given his people previews of what was going to happen concerning the birth of Messiah. He told them, of course, what town that he was going to be born in, Bethlehem of Judea. told them what tribe. He'd be of the tribe of Judah. In 500 years before Jesus came, he told them he'd be born of a virgin. How many understand that that's a strong prophetic word right there that was released to the people? They announced 
this. God did what he said he was going to do. So when Jesus was born, hundreds of years of anticipation was filled that night. And Luke 2 verse 14 says this, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward Men. So there was a celebration in heaven when Jesus was born, and there was a proclamation on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. So I want to talk to you for the end of these next few minutes. As you focus on him as God being with you, of the reality of the incarnation, the reality and the theology and the prophetic words and all the things that Jesus came to fulfill for one incredibly universal, important reason, God could have shouted his love from heaven, but that's not the God that we love and we serve today. God wants to be near. He's near right now. And here it is. When we say that God is with us forever, when we say God is with us, can I tell you what that produces in a believer's life? It produces peace. Everybody say peace again. How many could just use some good old-fashioned peace this Christmas? I mean, does anybody realize that 2022 literally means 2022? (laughs) 2020 again? Come on, somebody. I don't want to go through 2020 again. I realize that. I'm like, 2022? No, Lord. Can I tell you in all seriousness this morning that... The difficulty that you're walking through, the, the, the hurt. I know there's many in here that you're going to spend a, your first Christmas without somebody. That's my testimony. This is my first Christmas without my dad. He died the day after Christmas last year. And, and I get it. The, listen, those feelings just overwhelm me at times. It hits me at the most unexpected times where I'm like, That's a, this is the first time in 48 years I won't hear my daddy's voice on Christmas. And then I remember, God's with me. I remember that even though I go through the difficulty, and I want to say this this morning, peace is not the absence of strife or conflict. We often relate peace to being the absence of difficulty or strife or conflict. Jesus said this, blessed are the peacemakers. The interesting thing about that statement was those, these he was talking to were conquered people. These were people who had Rome on their back. These are people who had lived in strife and lived in difficulty and lived in darkness. And here's what they did, and here's what I want to minister to you for just a a minute. The people that Jesus came to lost their will to fight. And there's those here today. Your marriage is not healed, and you're just too tired to fight. Your relationships are not reconciled. You're just reloading for the next round of battle with that person. You you battled with them at Thanksgiving, and now you're reloading, and you're going to battle with them at Christmas. Can I tell you, when God says he is our peace, it causes us to be peacemakers. And that does not mean that it's the absence of strife, difficulty, or conflict. The reason I bring this up is that peace is not, as we think peace is, some kind of a blue lagoon tranquility or Peace is not from that. Peace is not getting away from enough people in situations that cause you anxiety, right? Here's what we think. Pastor's talking about peace. Peace and goodwill on earth and to men. The peace of God came, and we think that if we get away from enough uh, difficulties and enough people, then that's going to fix things, and then I'll finally have peace. Can I tell you, that is not what biblical peace is. 
Peace is not the guarantee of security or the absence of adversity or pressure. The type of peace that the world may find as peace does not exist. Because the Bible says this, and listen to me for just a minute. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Listen, you want to go to a place where there's no struggle and no difficulty and no things that come against you? Visit a cemetery. Because that's the only place that you're going to find that as long as you're on this side. Amen? Simply put, we cannot retreat from life. We have to take up our cross and follow Jesus into life. So you ask, what is peace? When the Bible teaches peace, it teaches peace in two ways. Listen to me. The first is an objective way. Everybody say objective. In other words, the Bible talks about having peace with God. And then there's a subjective, everybody say subjective. It says having the peace of God. So there's two pieces that God offers us when he says peace on earth and goodwill towards men. It's the subjective and the objective. And we understand in the objective sense is talking about this. I am not moved by what I feel or what I think. There's an object that I can place my faith into. Are you following me? The peace of God, because it's objective, is simply this. When you are at peace with God, you may not feel saved on a certain day, but your peace is not predicated on how you feel in salvation. It's, it's predicated on the fact that Jesus Christ hung on a cross and died for you, and when you put your faith in Him, that is objective faith. Why? Because your, your peace is in an object. And can I tell you something this morning? That object that you have placed your faith and trust in is unmovable. The the nature of God is unmovable. The providence of God and the sovereignty of God that even says in the Christmas story, when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son. So when the fullness of time came, so there's an object of our faith. There's what God... And then there's also the objective truth. Can I tell you, it's possible to be at peace with God and not even feel like it, right? Oh, come on. Somebody be real with me this morning. Some days I wake up in the morning and I don't feel like I'm on my way to heaven. But that doesn't mean that God has not saved my soul. Listen to me. Peace with God has everything to do with our relationship with God. Because not only are we, can we have peace with God, We can have the peace of God. Everybody say, of God. That's good news this morning. Because the peace of God is not based upon your circumstances. Amen? So how do I learn to maintain the peace of God? That God, he deposits this in my heart. And God, because he is with me, and he is is the object of my faith. So even on the days where I don't feel like I'm doing all that well, God is still for me. God is still with me. Let, me. let me give you five quick things. Number one this morning, peace is the product of being reconciled to God. Amen? It's the result. It's the outcome. It's the consequence of being reconciled to God. Can I tell you something that may be an enlightening for you this morning? Raise your hand and wave at me if I can tell you. You came into this world, you came fighting, and you came into a world at war. You did. Let me teach you an important truth. You weren't classified as a sinner 
the day that you started lying. You were born into sin. You, you Listen, you that have kids, anybody else anybody in here, you've had a few kids? Did you have to teach them how to misbehave? Let's all take a field trip to the children's church this morning. <laughs> and I can, I can give you an object lesson in the fact that we don't have to teach our kids to do these things. Nobody had to train you how to be deceptive. Nobody had to train you how to be selfish. Nobody had to train somebody to tell lies. Why? Because it's part of our fallen nature. Amen? So the angel shows up and he says, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And when Jesus speaks for himself in Matthew 10, 34, he says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Now, hold up. (laughs) Hold up. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Emmanuel, God with you, is born. He came to save you. He came to rescue you. He came into a, a tremendous amount of darkness and brought his light from heaven. In Houston, we got a problem because it says peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And Jesus says, I came to bring a sword. What does a sword do? It separates. Can I suggest to you today, since Jesus came into the world, the entire world is separated. Everything in the universe, church, divides on Jesus Christ and what you do with him. He is not just a baby laying in a manger this morning. He is born the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And every all of history divides over Jesus Christ. People are still fighting about who he was. Accept him or reject him. There's nobody almost saved or almost lost. Can I be real with you this morning? He came very clearly to show us the way of salvation, but there are no in-betweens because he said, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. But it also said later on for myself, I came to bring a sword. A sword separates. Here's what Jesus said. I separate wheat from tares, sheep from goats, the broad way from the narrow way, truth from lies. Simply put, you are either a servant of Jesus Christ sitting here this morning or you're a slave to sin. There, there is no in-between. You're like, come on, pastor, a Christmas message right before? Yes, I want you saved and on your way to heaven this morning. That's where, that's where God, that's why God sent his son. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He sent him into the world that you might know that you know that you're on your way to heaven. Here's the good news. Here it is. Jesus is our peace. He satisfies the condition for the war. Everybody say, the war is over. You were born in sin. You were born in warfare. But Jesus came to declare and say, when he rose from the tomb, when when the father's having the conversation with Jesus, he says, look, they're going to lay you in a tomb, but the women will come and see a stone is not there. But son, I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to be there either. You're going to be risen again. He lives at the right hand of the Father, even right now today. And the war is over. Listen, peace is the gift of God to those who give their life over to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I want to tell you something. If you walked in here today and you say, my peace comes and goes. My peace is up and down. My peace is there some days, and on some days it's gone, and I'm walking in turmoil, I'm walking in worry, and I'm walking in fear. The price of peace has to be understood. 
Can I tell you what the price of peace is? Does anybody want to hear it? Total submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what the price of peace is. Stop trying to explain away the war that is raging on the inside of some of you today. And stop blaming everybody else for the actions and the things going on. And I want to tell you what the solution is. Make peace with God and the peace of God will rule in your heart today. Number two, peace is the fruit of a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Peace is a person. Jesus said very clearly, I have come, but when I go, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. What did, he, what did the father look at the son and say, hey, Jesus said, hey, can I give him a preview of what happens after I ascend? Absolutely, go ahead and let him know. So he said in certain places, I am going to send the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the one who will teach you all things. It, when, when we say God, Emmanuel, God with us now, who is it that's with us? It's Holy Spirit. All of heaven rejoiced when understanding that on the day of Pentecost, he would be poured out. Peace is not something you try, and it's not something you work up this morning. It is a person, and the peace is the outcome or fruit of an intimate relationship with Holy Spirit. Could it be that we have spent more time pursuing the things we think can bring us peace instead of pursuing a relationship with the one who is the peace? Listen. Intimacy produces. Does everybody agree with that? If you don't agree with that, I just mentioned that I have a couple kids, right? I don't know how all that happened. I, mean, I, I know a little bit. I don't know how brains are formed. You're hearing me. I don't know when I pick up my Bible necessarily how. <laughs> There's a mystery to it that when I connect with him through his word, it produces something in my life. Intimacy produces fruit. And the fruit of intimacy with the Holy Spirit is peace. Everybody say peace. Anybody just thankful for his peace this morning? Peace with God and the peace of God that is manifested when we know him. Number three, if you're taking notes, write this down. Peace is the umpire of our lives. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your heart. And I always thought that meant that let peace be set up like a king within your heart. That's okay. But the actual word rule was a term that they used in the Olympic Games of Paul's time. And basically what it meant was there was a rule book that existed that if somebody was playing in the games and they didn't do it according to the rules then they were disqualified. He's saying let the peace of God literally be a rule book or a ruler or something that you sense in your heart. Are you following me? If you're watching a football game and somebody runs 99 yards for a touchdown but they stepped out of bounds at the 30, they're ruled out. Listen, why am I bringing this up? Because I talk to people all the time and they come to me, Pastor, I'm just, I really feel like this is what God wants, this is what God's telling me to do. And I'm just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I can tell just in my heart of hearts that I don't have a peace about what they're telling me. It's allowing the peace of God to rule in our hearts of do we make this decision or do we not make this decision? Are you following me? Simply put, 
Peace just isn't a person of the Holy Spirit that, that we allow into our hearts to give us peace when we have intimate relationship with him. Peace isn't just having peace with God so that the peace of God can, can reign and rule in our hearts and we can walk through difficulties facing all the things that we face. But can I tell you something this morning? Some of you have a decision whether or not you're going to marry that person and you don't have peace. Run. Some of you have a decision whether you're going to get into that business deal or start that business or whatever it may be. And you say, I just don't have... Can I tell you, let the peace of God... It says this in the Bible. The peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and it will guard your mind. It's literally like a sentry that's set up in your life. I'm tired of seeing the people of God get battered and beat up because of one very important element of their lives. They make decisions, and they make them based on the flesh. They don't make them based on the Holy Spirit. Is this too strong for you this morning? I'm your pastor, and I don't want to see you get shipwrecked. Amen? Amen. Pastor, can we go back to Jesus in the manger for just, just to end this on a high note? You let the peace of God rule in your heart, and I promise you. Now, you may say, oh, I just don't know. if it." Listen, God will show you. He absolutely, he'll put people in your life to speak wisdom. The problem is we don't listen. That's the problem. You see, it's the peace of God in our lives that calls things in or out of bounds. Young people, we have teenagers in here. Can I tell you this morning that if you will learn to follow the peace of God, you will be led into more blessing by accident than what you ever tried to do in your life. Coming here as pastor four and a half, almost coming up on five years ago now, I had a peace. Now, can I tell you something this morning? That doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. That's where the peace of God comes in, right? It doesn't mean the absence of difficulties and trials and hard times and things and people coming against you and people saying really horrible things about you and all the things that happen in your life. It means that you have a deeper peace because you already, oh, I'm I'm hitting you with revelation. Listen to me right now for just one second. You already have the peace of God in operation in your life so you can stand on peace later on when it does get difficult. You let the peace of God rule in your heart. You say, God, peace is a person and his name is Jesus. Number four, peacemaking is proactive and reveals our true identity. Do you know what the DNA of a child of God is? Peacemaker. So if you're here today and you have somebody that you're in your family or at work or anything else, that you are at odds with, can I tell you what the best thing that you could give Jesus right here at Christmas is making peace because that is the DNA of a child of God. Peacemakers, peace is proactive, it's not passive. Those who make peace are those who carry the DNA of God. Can I tell you this? Peacemaking takes, everybody say effort. Listen, we may drift apart in marriage. Some of you wives are sitting here saying, I can't trust my husband's decisions. He decided to marry you. Am I telling the truth? Now all of a sudden you can't trust him. Listen, we may drift into marriage difficulties. We may drift into financial chaos. We may drift into different areas in our lives. Can I tell you this morning, you will never drift into peace. You, When you drift... 
you don't end up in peace. Everybody say maker. Peace makers. That's what we are. Everybody swallow hard. Buckle up. Put your seatbelt on. You ready? If people who make peace and pursue peace are the carriers, because that's what he said in the scripture, they will be called the sons and daughters of God. Am I right? Then folks who slander and gossip a brother or sister, can I tell you today, the accuser of the brethren is what the enemy's called. So what is their DNA? Number five. Peace crushes Satan under our feet. <laughs> is that good news? It says in Romans sixteen twenty, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Everybody say peace. Stand with me this morning. God is with you forever. God is with you in the valley. God is with you in the storm. Some of you are thinking this morning, wow, you know, I've, I've, I've been here all three weeks, Pastor, and I've heard you preach all three of this series of message here at Christmas about God being with us. I've heard you preach on Wednesday night about choosing joy in this time. And I want to tell you something this morning. Just, just equally as you can choose joy in this season by focusing on everything God has done and instead of focusing on the, the, what the enemy's doing. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You focus on what God has blessed you with. Because let me tell you something. I have found out that when I am in a storm, it's not about what I've lost. It's about what I have left after the loss that God will use to rebuild everything in my life. And some of you have looked around and you said, I just, I don't think God really is with me. Can I tell you that that is what the enemy is going to come and speak into and over your life this whole entire Christmas season? If you're walking through difficulty, if you're walking through loneliness, if you're walking through just a hard time, he's going to come. And that's what he simply does. God's not really with you. Can I tell you something this morning? It's not about your feelings this morning. It's about faith in the holy word of God and scripture. And like I said before, There's the peace of God. In church, there's the peace with God. There's nothing better than laying your head down at night and knowing that, God forbid, if he doesn't give me another tomorrow, I am right with my God. That's why the baby was born in a manger. It wasn't just to sing the beautiful songs and have the... And you guys know, I love this stuff. I mean, I had a baby Yoda shirt on this morning. It said, joy to the galaxy, y'all. I am a nerd. I'm a Christmas nerd. I watch all the shows, and my wife has watched 64 Hallmark Christmas. I didn't know they made 64 Hallmark Christmas movies. I'm like, oh, this is the fourth time. I'm like, how could you? I know how it ends, Leah. I can tell you. If you're here this morning and you say, my life has been marked lately by continual anxiety and continual frustration, I want to tell you there's an answer this morning. If you're here this morning and you just have anger living and raging inside of you, 
and you're living with the effects of events in your life that torment you every day, it's that war that I was talking about. When you were born, you were born into warfare. But can I tell you who is victorious this morning? It's our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you have that warfare going on as you walked in here, and you're going to have that warfare going on in your heart and your mind when I make my next statement and invite you. The warfare that happens is you say to yourself, and you walked in here with it, it's that warfare that happens when we say, God, I really want to lay everything down before you, but I really want to keep a hold of some things. It's that tug of war that happens inside of everybody until they finally make the decision that, God, I am tired of making my own decisions. God, I'm tired of getting my life into a place of of hurt and difficulty. God, I really need you to come and clean everything up. Could you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Thank you, Lord. Lapita, would you come up here and jump on on the keyboard there? Let's just give the Holy Spirit some room to move. Can we do that? It's, it's not in the eloquence of man. It's not in a sermon. It's in the presence of Holy Spirit that people's hearts are made new. That people's hearts are made right with God. That people's hearts go from warfare and anxiety and frustration and fear. And they are moved by a person into a place of complete and total peace. Jesus said, My peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives. Because church, let me tell you something this morning. If the world gives it, trust me, we all know the world will take it away. This is not the peace that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the peace that comes from knowing you're right with God and the peace that comes from knowing that the person that peace comes from, you're in a relationship with. So let me ask this question this morning, that warfare that you're feeling, that hurt, that anxiety. The Holy Spirit just wants to breathe peace into your life. But first we have to take care of something very important, and it's this. You may say today, I'm not right with God. Could you just shoot your hand up right there where you are? We're going to pray together before we pray peace over our lives. Everybody in here is completely 100%. Maybe that's a better question somebody presented to me recently. How many would raise their hand and say, you're standing before God right now? It's in a pastor. It's in words from a a microphone. This is God, holy, almighty. Let's do this. How many raise their hand and say, I am 100% right with God? I know it. Raise your hand. I know that I'm 100% right with him. For the 50% of you that didn't just raise your hand, can I invite you today? to get right with him there's nothing better there's nothing better listen to me this morning and pray this with me today this is between you and God dear heavenly father pray it with me dear heavenly father I come to you with an honest heart and an open heart I've been at war and today I want that war to be over. I desire to come to you, my Heavenly Father, and lay everything down. 
I lay down my sin. I lay down my striving. I lay down my own desire. And I ask you today to forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Come into my life. Change me. Forgive me. I make you Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Hallelujah. Here's, here's my second part of the altar call. And just bear with me because this is what the Lord's leading me to do right now in this moment. If you came in here today and you know him and you know that you're right with him, but you've just had a battle in your life and in your heart, this is what the Holy Spirit, before I ever came in here, he said, Jason, have people come up to this altar and I'm going to fill them with my peace this morning. There's an altar call. You just need some good old-fashioned Christmas peace. And peace is a person, and it's the Holy Spirit of God. So if you need to just renew that relationship with him and that intimacy with him that produces peace, church, an orange tree does not strain to produce oranges. It's just the natural outflow of who it is and what it does. So some of you need to get reconnected in. Could I invite you to come? Just come and stand right here around this altar. And we're going to pray peace over you. You need it. You just need the Prince of Peace to come into your come into your situation, to come into your life, to come in in this moment right here. Thank you, Jesus. Just lift your hands. I feel the Holy Spirit just beginning to flow over you who said, God, I need you to remove... I need you to remove the strife. I lay it down. I need you to remove the warfare that I'm walking in. Some of you have been walking in such a such an intense season of warfare. And God just wants you to know that he is going to soon crush Satan under your feet. That is a word. That is a word over you today. That the God of peace, the God of peace. Some of you have been even walking in this season where you have lack, whether it be financial or relational. God wants you to know that he is, he is getting ready to add everything that you have need of. There is not anything that he doesn't know that you need this morning that God is going to fulfill. God, let your peace come. You guys stretch your hands out this way as I pray for some of our folks today.